Psalm 142. You could follow along as I, I read aloud from the scriptures this morning. It says this, a masculine of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with, it, with me. This is the word of the Lord this morning. We're continuing on through the summer, as I know many of us are coming and going. It's just a good time for us to pause and, and through our series in the book of Acts and just take some moments to reflect on some songs of the soul, a songbook for Scripture, something that was given by God through human authors to us that reflect the feelings that we have deep down in our hearts, and we see a song written by King David himself. And these soul songs, we've been journeying through many of them, and I know we've not been touching on some of the most famous psalms, like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, and, and some of the others. But we wanted to just kind of see, what are some of these songs of the soul that, that can reflect how we're feeling? I love modern soul music even today. Uh, that just reflects the feelings and the experiences of the human heart. Well, I love that we've got this divine songbook for our hearts here today. And we see in Psalm, Psalm uh, 142, a soul song of David. And we'll get into what was the situation here that he was experiencing. But before we do, I, I just want to ask the question, is it okay to complain? Is it okay? Is it is it right or is it inherently wrong to complain? Think about that for a moment. Uh, a few years back when I was, my family and I, before we moved here to the Northern Virginia from the San Francisco Bay Area, we were a part of a ministry, <clears throat> a part of a ministry there and my wife and I were, were seeking to minister to a, a young lady and for the purpose of the story, I don't want to betray her trust, uh, we'll just call her Rita. And I remember Rita, we were sitting with her and and she had gone just through so much trial, so much trouble. Her marriage, she had only been married for a short season, and she and her husband had had a child together, but that, that, that marriage was coming to a, a, an abrupt end. Her child had been in, in danger in their home. There was substance abuse and physical abuse and fear and, and brokenness, and now she, as a single mom, was going to have to care for this little one. Uh, by herself with some extended family, but now as a single, as a single mom. And as we were talking with Rita, she, she had reached out to us. She said, I, I, I don't want to continue to repeat the mistakes of the past. I want to feel like I've got some wisdom moving forward. And so we met with her and we tried to give her as much biblical wisdom and, and encouragement and, and uh, care and comfort as we could. But 
But as we were going through this, she would just pause. She goes, yeah, but it's just so hard. Yeah, but it's just so hard. And you could just hear it, her saying, Rita saying over and over again, I, I hear what you're saying, but it's, it's just so hard. She was expressing vocally to us just this feeling of hurt and pain and brokenness. And she was trying to express it to us, and, and we tried to do the very best we could to listen, but it just wasn't scratching the itch for her. She needed to cry out and complain to someone that could really hear and understand and know and do something about how she felt. Rita craved to vocalize what was going on, but telling us just wasn't cutting it for her. And so in that moment, I realized that this sister needs to complain. But she needs to complain not to me and my wife. She needs to complain to the one who's in charge of the whole universe. And so we turn to this psalm, this psalm of complaint written by David, and we got on our knees and we wept together. We lamented together. We groaned together. I mean, it was that ugly kind of crying, man. I mean, it was, it was ugly. And she just poured out her soul there. And there was something in that moment that happened that Laura and I, we could never do for Rita. We could never do that for her. But God in that moment allowed her to experience some sort of just peace in saying, I just got to let all this garbage out to you, God. What was going on there? What was going on with, with David as he's complaining to God? Now, we have at the very beginning of this, of this passage, and it's, it's right there in the text, okay? It's not like some sort of uh, interpreter from the, you know, our translation here. It's a, it's a song or a masculine. It's some sort of liturgical music or song of David when he was in the cave, and it's a prayer. Well, what's going on in David's life at, the, at this moment when he writes Psalm 142? Well, David is on the run. He's still a young man. He was the young shepherd boy who'd been chosen by God and anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Now, Saul was the current king, but he was not loyal to the Lord. He did things his own way, and God rejected him and his family uh, in the future as, as king to be on the throne. But Saul was still ruling at the time. Even though his rule was going to come to an end and David was anointed to be the next king, Saul was still ruling. But David had risen the ranks to become a legendary warrior in Israel. And there was a song that was being sung, Saul has killed his thousands of enemies and David has killed his ten thousands. And so Saul became extremely jealous of David, so much so that Saul sought to kill David. He was scheming. I mean, it was flat out, he was just like throwing spears at David. Like, it was explicit. He wanted to see David killed because David was a threat to his throne and his rule. And so what does David do? David has nowhere he could be because the king rules Israel, and now he's got all his armies chasing David down to seek him, to destroy him. And so David thinks, okay, well, then I'll go to the other side. I'll go and try and visit the Philistines and see if they'll allow me to come in and find some refuge here. And they're like, wait a minute, isn't this the one that they sing songs about? Saul has killed his thousands of Philistines and David is ten thousands of Philistines. I think we should get rid of this guy right now. And, and David starts to see that the plot is, is out for him. So he can't stay in Israel. He can't stay among the Philistines and Gath. And so he leaves. And he becomes an outcast. He becomes a refugee from his own country. The country that he was told 
by God through the prophet Samuel that he would one day rule. He couldn't even live there. He's all alone. He's on the run. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, we see David's story. It says this, David departed from there, from uh, Gath in, in the land of the Philistines, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him because I'm sure Saul would have threatened their lives too, right, to get to David. And look at what verse 2 says. And everyone was in, who was in distress, all those who were hurting, all those who were broken, all the outcasts, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul, they gathered to him. And he became commander over this ragtag group of misfits. And there were with him about 400 men. David, the anointed one to be the future king, became now the outcast. Became a magnet for broken people. But what could he do for them, right? What power did he have? He had nowhere to go. He, he needed to express his pain himself, David. His agony. He needed to vocalize it. He had all kinds of people around him, but he's like, they can't do me any good. They're as broken as I am. Where am I going to go? He had bitter and broken people around him, but it wouldn't cut it trying to express what he was feeling to them. So he writes a song of prayer and of agony and lament and complaint to the Lord. He's at the end of his rope, and all he can do is cry to God for help. Have you ever been there? At the end of your rope. Now, I'm not here to prophesy anything negative over you, but if you haven't been there yet, you will be some. I don't think anybody goes through this life free of any moments of, of that dark night of the soul of lament where they feel alone and they feel in despair. What will you do in that moment? Where will your complaint go? This is our big idea this morning as we look at the rest of the passage. When you're at the end of your rope, God listens to your cry for help. When you are at the end of yourself, when you feel like I've got nothing left to give, I've got nowhere else to go, God and God alone is the one who could hear when you cry out, help me, where else could I go? Sometimes we think to ourselves that, that God doesn't have time for that. God isn't willing to listen to that. Oh, I, I, God, oh, yeah, God wants to hear our praise and our thanksgivings and our, our gratitude and our joy and all that, but God also has an open ear to listen to us when we cry to him for help. We'll see this in three ways from Psalm 142. First of all, God hears you. Secondly, God sees you. And thirdly, God saves you. God hears you, God sees you, and God saves you. Let's take a look at the first one. God hears you, and he doesn't just hear you, but God hears you when all you can do is cry. See that in the first two and a half verses. God hears you when all you can do is cry. I'll read it again. David writes, with my voice, my voice, and it's not a mystery in the Hebrew there, it's literally his voice, his voice box. I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint to him. I tell him my trouble. These are verbal expressions of what David is feeling. It's audible. This complaint had to be vocalized. It couldn't just remain in his heart. It couldn't be one of those just silent prayers. David had to get it from his heart, through his throat, and out of his mouth. 
in expressing it to God. He says twice, with my voice, the complaint had to be vocalized. He cries out. He pleads for mercy. He pours out his complaint. Now, I asked the question earlier, is it right for anybody to complain? And you may be thinking to yourself, now, I know the verse in the New Testament, right? Philippians 2.14. And many of our modern English translations say, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Okay, so David was in sin here, right? Uh, Not so fast. I think in what Paul is saying in Philippians 2.14, he's saying, do all things without grumbling, and maybe a better word is disputing. It's this idea that I'm I'm grumbling and complaining about my neighbor, about my brother, about my sister, about my spouse and my kids, and I'm just going around with just this discontented attitude, and I'm grumbling about them to other people. I'm just, I got this unsatisfied attitude. It's not in faith, it's in doubt. It's not in love. It's, it's done in hate, and it's done in, in divisiveness and conflict. And so when Paul says in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining, it really is this, this, this division, this, this divisiveness where I'm, I'm constantly never satisfied with who you are and what you do for me. But what David is doing here in Psalm 142, he's lamenting. He's saying, Lord, I've got worries deep down in the bowels of who I am. That's what the Hebrew, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about deep down in the deepest core of your abdomen. I feel this lament. It's keeping me up at night. I'm worrying and I got to pour it out to you. I've got to vocalize the sorrow from my heart. I've got to tell you my trouble. Now, I've been learning this phrase from my daughter when, and she's not here, so she won't be embarrassed. But I've learned this phrase from my daughter when we want to get caught up on life and where she's at and the relationships that she's got. All right, spill the tea. We've got a, another great little, uh, another young lady uh, in California, and she goes, uh, Mr. Matt, can I spill the tea with you? Yeah, the truth, right? Spill it out. Tell me what's going on. But, but often we do this. We spill the tea with one another, right? We want to find out what's going on. And really, it's just a, a nice way to say we're gossiping about other people, right? Right? It's gossip about what's going on in our lives. And and sometimes we think, I just got to vent, right? You've probably heard that. Maybe you've even said that yourself. I'm just feeling under so much pressure. I've just got to vent. The pressure in like a geyser is just building up, and eventually it's got to just come out. I had some friends that were in uh, Yellowstone Park recently, and I saw some pictures of Old Faithful Geyser. What is it, every 30 minutes or something? And it spouts off, right? Sometimes you just got to vent and get all that pressure out. Sometimes in the name of spilling the tea or, or, or venting, we feel like, I just got to get out the frustrations that I'm feeling. But then guess what we do? We're right back at it again. It doesn't truly scratch the itch. It doesn't really get it out of us. It wasn't getting it out of, of Rita's heart that I mentioned earlier. It wasn't anything that she could express to another human that would do the trick. When we're in distress, we need an ear to listen. Sometimes we'll spill the tea to anyone who listens. Maybe we'll spill it out on social media or we'll just express it to a friend through a text or a phone call or over a cup of coffee. Sometimes, friends, this just breeds more and more brokenness. But David says, I'm going to pour out. I'm going to spill it out, the truth of what's going on in my heart to the one who truly knows and sees and cares and can do something about it. David goes on in in verse 3, the first part, 3a, it says, when my spirit faints within me, You know my way. 
when I'm at my weakness. See, David, he has no personal blocks in his heart about admitting his weakness. Man, this is something that we have a hard time doing, right? We're weak about expressing our weakness, aren't we? It's the last thing we want to do. And, and I know many of you ladies feel the same way. I, why do I want to express weakness? Well, I don't want to be embarrassed by that, to show people that I'm, I'm a needy person, that I'm weak. But David says, here I am. Only you could see me. You see all of my weakness. All I could do is cry out here in this cave and you see all the mess. Friend, I want to tell you here today, God isn't afraid of the mess of your weakness. With our friend Rita, she it just messy cried. It was, it was, I mean, it was a whole box of Kleenex moment. Messy. God's not afraid of it. He's not afraid of the mess. He invites us to tell him about it. And that's what David says. I've got nothing left. I'm at the end of my rope. You see my mess. And I'm just pouring it all out before you, Lord. I want to ask you here this morning, what do you do do when you ache? And not just ache, but you ache deep down to your bones, deep down to your soul. What do you do? To whom do you spill the tea? To whom do you express what you're feeling? David cried out to God. It was humbling, but it demonstrated demonstrated his loyalty to God. Think about how disloyal it is to take the most precious parts, the most vulnerable parts, the most intimate parts about us, and then we take it off to somebody else. I mean, we'd be so disloyal to my wife if the deepest, most intimate parts about me that I expressed it over to another woman and I wouldn't express it to her. How disloyal it is when we take the deepest parts about who we are and we're willing to share it with anybody, but we won't vocalize it to God. David shows his loyalty his faith, his trust, even in his despair and weakness to say, Lord, if anybody needs to hear this, first and foremost, it needs to be you. What do you do when you ache? What do you do when you need to cry out to God? Where's your loyalty directed when you hurt? Is it Twitter, Facebook, friend? Maybe it's a punching bag, right? You just got to vent to a punching bag. Friends, take your weaknesses Get it out, tell it to God, pour it out. It's like pus in a wound. You gotta drain it out so that God can bring healing to your life. The first thing we see is that God hears you when all you can do is cry. He hears you when all you can do is cry. Secondly, God sees you. God sees you when all you can see is danger. God sees you when all you can see is danger. That's what David says in, in these verses in, in 3b and, and 4. He says, uh, in the path where I walk, they, my enemies, and it's probably Saul and others, they have set a trap or hidden a trap for me. They've hidden a trap for me. Look and see. He's invited to say, Lord, you, you see it. You already know it. No one notices. I have no refuge. No one cares for me and for my soul. I am all alone here. I'm a magnet for these broken and sorrowful people just because they're finding a safe space for them to be broken and hurting too here in this cave. But no one truly sees what I'm going through. I feel so lonely. Yet, yet David had one who saw him. One of the loneliest feelings, maybe you've been here before, one of the loneliest feelings is when there's people all around and yet no one understands how you feel. When you're in a crowd you know, maybe you felt that, like, maybe you took the metro station or something. I, I, tell, I had a mistake. I rode the metro into Roslyn and on the way back on the 4th of July to see the fireworks. And, I mean, we were squished in like sardines. It was insane. 
And I'm thinking to myself, here I am in the midst of all these people, and yet it's just me alone with my thoughts right now. Lord, please get this train home as quickly as possible, right? Sometimes in the most crowded moments is when we feel the loneliest because we could see people all around us. And maybe what we see on the surface with others is laughter and joy and prosperity and fruitfulness. But deep down in our hearts, we feel like it's just a hollow cave of pain and sorrow. Here's David in the midst of so many others, and yet he says, no one sees, no one cares, no one understands. He felt lost, abandoned, helpless, hated. God can see beyond the outward smiles of our mouths and faces all the way down into the deepest parts of our hearts. And that's what he saw with David. He saw the loneliness. He saw the danger around him. And yet God said, but I see you. I see you. David saw the danger all around, but he asked God to look. David saw the danger, but God saw David. There was no danger that could shield God's eyes from his loving gaze upon his servant. I'm sure there were moments that, that David thought to himself, here I am all the way in this cave. I'm far from you know, the tabernacle, the tent where God's presence was and the Ark of the Covenant was. I don't have access to that anymore because I'm going to be killed if someone, come, if someone sees me there. Here I am in this cave. I must be far separated from God. But David says, no, Lord, I know that you're not confined to that tent. You see me here even now. Nothing can separate you from the gaze of your loving Father even in the midst of your greatest danger. In fact, in just a few psalms ahead, in, in Psalm 139, just a few chapters before our, our text this morning, in verses 7 through 12, David writes again about God's gaze upon David and his life. It says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, this is all poetic, and, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the darkness of a cave, and the light about me be night, you are there. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you, friends. Your circumstances may feel dark today. It may feel like nobody else sees you. And if you look around your life, and maybe you've been there in moments, and maybe you will be there in moments in the days and years to come, God forbid, but it might happen. It might happen. And all you see is the danger and the darkness and the loneliness all around you. Know this. You have not transported beyond the gaze of your loving Father. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Friend, you are not alone. God sees you. And this is the test of faith in that moment of loneliness, in the dark night of the soul. We all, you and I, we must answer this question with faith. Does God care about me? This is one of the hardest things for a new believer. Okay, a new believer, they, they come to faith in Jesus. They might even get baptized to say, hey, I want to be identified with Jesus through this water immersion so that people could see I belong to Jesus. But then they start to walk every day in the Christian life and they're seeking to do the, the habits and disciplines of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and they're in community, but then they start to feel those trials and that's when the test of faith comes in. Does God really care? I mean, here's this God. It's, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. How in the world can he care right now that I got this auto payment that I can't afford any longer? 
this repair bill, this fight with my spouse, this bad news on the television, this family member who just got a cancer diagnosis. Does God care about that if he's upholding the universe? Friend, God cares. He sees. He knows. And in those moments, it's our test of faith. Does God care about me? Friends, don't just gloss over this question. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with it with brothers and sisters. Don't just put that question on the shelf. Fight, agonize, and say, Lord, I don't feel it. I don't see it, but I got to trust that you care about me in the cave. Please come to me. Please help me. Friends, I, I, sometimes here in Northern Virginia, we, man, we are so, uh, we're so good. <laughs> you are so competent at so many things. But sometimes I feel like our competence could keep us from getting humble enough to get on our knees and say, Lord, I'm in a cave and only you can get me out. My 401k can't do it. My house can't do it. My, my, my community can't do it. Only you can do it. Oh, that we'd vocalize, that we'd get on our knees and realize that God sees you when all you see is danger. He sees you and he hears your cry for help. That's why I love our small groups. These moments every week, and sometimes it's just simple prayer requests, but other weeks I could see there's a brother or sister who's just hurting. They're in a cave. And, and boy, man, I would love to hear stories and, and see it in my own group where we get on our knees and we weep and we cry and we call out and say, Lord, we're pouring out this complaint before you right now. Why? Because that's when we start to look like Jesus to one another. It's when we start to biblically learn to complain the way God has told us to. And it's in those moments of faith that we can feel and sense and see God's presence watching out for us all over again. And when you go through those trials and you fight and agonize through those barriers, you start to learn God shows up. God shows up and it strengthens your faith so that when you come to the next bigger test, you can look back and say, God was there with me in the cave before and he'll be with me in this cave again. Will you look to him? Will you trust that God sees you when all you can see is danger? The third thing we see about this godly complaint from Psalm 142 is this, is that God saves you when all hope seems lost. God saves you when all hope seems lost. We see this in verses five through seven. David, he offers up just like, just, he's just rapid fire requests. Attend to my cry. Deliver me. I can't do it, Lord. I'm not strong enough. Set me free from this prison. Listen to me. Help me. And then he says in in the second half of verse 7, he says, and then turn my pain into praise. This complaint right now, let it be a confession of joy and love and peace. Turn this moment in the cave into that moment that you've promised to me when I'm going to sit on the throne. Turn that for me, Lord. Turn it. I want to turn this complaint into praise, into thanksgiving. I look forward to that day when you deliver me. Then this broken crowd of misfits here with me at this cave, they're going to turn into righteous worshipers of you. I'll bring them along with me. I'll tell the story of your salvation for me, and I'll prompt them and say, hey, guys, let's get together and let's worship this king because he's turning misfits into worshipers. He's turning outcasts into righteous ones. He's delivering us. You see, God's story of redemption 
for David here in this moment to put him on the throne as the king is just a foretaste of the redemption story that God has given to all of his people, the redemption that is found in the son of David, the true Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the son of God who was buried in a cave but rose victoriously from the grave and is seated in the heavens for you and for me. God is the one who saves us when all hope seems lost. Will you look to his salvation? Friend, today is maybe a day of sorrow. Tomorrow may be a day of sorrow. Yesterday may have been a day of sorrow. There's coming a day, Paul says, when these moments, Momentary and light afflictions will just all fade away, and we're going to see glory. I love the song we, we started out with today. If you came in late, you missed it, but that's okay. I'll tell you about it anyway. We sang Glorious Day. You called my name, and I ran out of that, well, it's grave, but it could be cave too. I ran out of that cave, out of the darkness and into your glorious day. Friends, that's the day that David is looking forward to. And as we lament and as we complain and as we pour our hearts to God, we look forward to that day to say, Lord, I know even if they would strike me down in this life, I know that there's a day coming when you will raise this body from the grave and it will be nothing but glory. You will save and you will deliver me. And so we have this biblical, Holy Spirit-inspired complaint. We see that God sees us or he hears us when all we can do is cry. We see that God sees us when all we can see is danger. And God saves us when all hope seems lost. When you're at the end of your rope, God listens to your cry for help. He listens to your cry. We may have a lot of people that are just crawling out of a cave this morning just to join us today. I know some of your stories, but there's many, many of your stories, you know, you're living it every day. Caves, hardships, trials, troubles. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to spill the tea? Well, you bring it to your God. When you're at the end of your rope, God listens to your cry for help. I'm going to ask a question here. Uh, that we ask every week or we try to ask every week, what does this mean for Monday, right? What we're trying to achieve here, if, you, if you're newer with us, is we want to ask the question, we don't want to just hear God's word on Sunday and then walk away unchanged, just go enjoy lunch and do whatever it is that we've got for the remainder of the week. We want to ask ourselves, what does this mean for the life that I'm called to live before God Monday through Saturday? What does this mean for tomorrow and the day after? I've been thinking about this all week and I just... And thinking about, man, my, my friend Rita that we prayed with and wept with. I thought about my own times in my own life where I've gotten on my knees and I had nowhere else to go. I was at the end of my rope like David. I felt like I was in a cave and just pour out my complaint. But I also remember the moments where I held it in, where I, I, I didn't want to admit my weakness. I didn't want to admit my sorrow. I didn't want to show people that there's a storm going on in my heart and, and how that storm just churned and churned and churned and churned. And until eventually it started coming out in complaints about other people. It started coming out in gossip. It started coming out in harsh words to my, my wife and my children. 
started coming out in harsh words to brothers and sisters in Jesus, and they could see something's going on behind Matthew's face and behind Matthew's words. There's a storm in his heart, but eventually that storm started coming out. If it doesn't go vertically, it's going to come out horizontally, and it's going to come out nasty, friends. I've been there. I've been there. We don't have to be that kind of people, though. We could be the kind of people that say, just like David, I can pour out my heart to God. What do we, what do, we do and what do we say when trouble when it comes, it, what, do we, what do we do about it? Friends, that's the biggest indicator of where we've put our trust. Am I good only when my circumstances are good or do I fall apart when life is falling apart? It's an indicator of whom I'm putting my trust in. It's the big stuff, but it's also the little stuff. I'll tell you, as a, as a culture and a society, and I'm including myself in this as well, we love to complain. We love to complain. You know, I, there's almost like a badge that you have anymore where it's like, I'm cynical about everything. And that means that I know really what's going on, right? I can complain about everything. No, anything's, nothing's ever good enough. I can't express true, genuine joy or delight about anything because then it makes me look just naive and ignorant about all the problems that are really going on. So we love to complain. We're really good at vocalizing our disgust and frustration with this fallen world. In fact, we have an entire language devoted to vocalizing it. We damn this or damn that. We invoke the name of God and of Jesus Christ as a curse, either flippantly blaming him for our predicament or casually just sitting in judgment to damn whatever is in front of us. Culture's full of it. Can't almost watch any movie anymore without just hearing it just flowing all over the place. Four little words, hand gestures, all the time, crass metaphors that fill in the gaps throughout the day when we feel the urge to vocalize our frustration. Friends, that's not becoming of a follower of Jesus Christ for me or for you or for any of us. That we would just throw out these curses rather than saying, I gotta pour out my complaint to God. But God has given his people another way. When I'm at the end of my rope, cry out to God. I cry out to you. That way that God has given his people, it's, it's found in Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he wept. In fact, in Matthew 26, 38, in the garden, he says to his friends, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. The sorrow that I feel, I, I'm gonna die on a cross, but the sorrow I feel is deep enough that I feel like it could kill me. So sorrowful. Jesus cried. He was sweating. He agonized. But how did he do it? Just with his friends complaining to them? I can't believe the Father has asked me to do this, to actually go to a cross. Does he not know who I am, the Messiah, the Son of God, the future King? So he pours out his complaint to the Father. Isaiah 53 describes this Jesus as despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. No, no, no. No cursings. No four-letter words. No hand gestures. No complaints on a human level. Now, he opened his mouth to the Father, but when it came to others, he was able to remain silent, going through the most agony and sorrow and the greatest pain that any of us could ever experience. It says in Isaiah 53, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why? How? 
because he had vocalized his complaint to the Father. He had poured out his soul to the Father so that when he got into this cave of suffering, he said, I can be silent because I've already poured out my heart to God. He went through the agony when all hope seemed lost, but yet he rose victoriously from the grave. He went down. He was forsaken. He became the source of life and deliverance and salvation for you and for me. And now he says, I went through the greatest pain of rejection and loneliness and sorrow that you could ever imagine, and now you can bring all your hurts to me. We can be the kind of people, we don't have to fill in the gaps of our frustrations throughout the day with four-letter this and hand gesture that and damn this or damn that. No, we don't have to do that. We can just say, Lord Jesus, help. Lord Jesus, help. That's what we want this to mean for Monday, tomorrow. And and I know it's hard. You don't have time in the, the moments of your day to get down on your knees and have this prayer session. But can you just offer up this little simple prayer to say, instead of cursing this moment, I'm gonna stop and say, Lord, help me. Lord, in a reverent way, Lord Jesus, please help. You could vocalize it, you could whisper it, you could even say it in your mind. Just express it to the one who wants to hear and who cares and who sees and wants to hear you verbalize it. Lord Jesus, help me. Because Jesus said, I went to the greatest cave, the greatest depths, on the cross, to the tomb, and rose victoriously from the grave so that you could pour out all the tea to me. Your mouth can be redeemed. Jesus calls us to be a people who repent of all the cursing of this world. That's the best the world can come up with. It's just cursing. We can be the kind of people that pour our hearts to God and tell him all of our trouble. Jesus wants to hear it. There's a song that um, I've sung before. You might have heard it. I don't know. It's an older song gospel hymn written in the 19th century. It's, it goes, it's called, I Must Tell Jesus. I Must Tell Jesus. Now, I'm going to attempt here to lead us in kind of singing this, right? The worship team doesn't know anything about this, all right? But here's how the chorus goes, and I'm counting on my family to help me out here a little bit. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my Burdens alone, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. The first verse goes this, I must tell Jesus all of my trial, I cannot bear these burdens alone, in my distress He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. And in the chorus, and if you're learning it, join me now. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I'm going to give you one more chance to sing that, but here's the second verse. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. 
if I but ask him, he will deliver. Make of my troubles quickly an end. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Invite the worship team to come on up right now as we close in a different song that expresses the same sort of thing. But this week, as you feel those moments of frustration, big stuff, little stuff, however you feel like you might be in a cave today, just offer up a cry for help. It's biblical to complain as long as we pour out our complaints to the one who truly sees and hears and saves us out of loyalty and devotion to him. Oh, that you and I, that we'd be a people that wouldn't follow the the course of this world, filling in the gaps of our frustration with four little words and hand gestures, but that we'd be a people that say, no, I can be silent even in the midst of the hardest of trials because I'm pouring out my complaint to the Lord. I must tell Jesus. Let's bow in prayer as we get prepared to sing one final song together.